0: If you have a savings account, uh, if you have a retirement account, a pension, if you've got a mortgage, frankly, if you have a job, if you buy gas, the stock market affects all of that. It's unavoidable. And so question today for Zach Abraham is, was the stock market ever honest business? We, We know it's not today. It's money conjuring. Could it ever be honest business again? Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. And times of greed, I've never seen anything like it. I have never seen what we're watching. March of 2021, or yeah, March of 2020, someone turned on the on switch on tyranny and turned on the on switch on corporate smash and grab. And when I say corporate smash and grab, what I mean is the China model, government plus big business smash and grab, destroy small businesses and slurp up the leftovers. And it's not it's not money that is at the root of all evil. That's, that's, that's a misquote or a misunderstanding. It's the love of money. It would be to love money in place of God. It would be to make money an icon that's the root of all evil. And I don't know about you because I can't see it because I'm doing a podcast, but as an 80s kid, I grew up on this movie. Ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works.
1: but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA.
0: It's amazing to watch that. I hadn't watched that in years. I used to be addicted to that movie because of the performance and the drama and the dream and the smashing of the dream and now as I watch Gordon Gecko speak, the character Gordon Gecko, and I understand I'm watching a guy who admitted to being a sex addict portray a guy who was portrayed accurately as a money addict, a, a lover of money. I listen to that and I'm just, I feel like I'm listening to the devil because he's just upside down. Right. Greed for life. No, no love hath man that no no greater love hath man that he would lay down his, 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 his life for his brother. And I see him speaking and I see the, I, 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 I see that the, the CEO of Pfizer I see the CEO of moderna I, I see the face of this smash and grab, which is what went on. In March of 2020, when they flipped the go switch on tyranny, there began a massive corporate smash and grab. And what I say corporate, I don't I don't mean free enterprise, free business, you know uh, free exchange of of, of of value. That's not what what happened. in March of 2020, the governments of the world, governments of the world, combined with big business of the world, began a massive smash and grab destruction of small businesses. By some measures, 40% of small businesses disappeared. Now, small business, that's that's a really neutral term. They're not just small businesses. They were the retirement accounts of people. They were, in fact, wealth, largely divorced from the stock market, uh, they have to buy goods and services. I get that. I, you know, you need oil to uh, to run your trucks, and you need power to to heat your buildings, and you need product, and, and that's going to be tied to the stock market. But small business, multi multi generational small business equals family's ability to have economic freedom, and, and really, what is wealth other than economic freedom? I mean, if you think about like, and in, in also from that movie, Bud Fox says to Gordon Gecko, the Bud Fox character to Gordon Gecko, "When is enough enough, Gordon? How many how many how many mansions can you own? How many yachts do you need?" And he's expressing this this, but you never stop eating. You never you this appetite never stops. As he expresses this, and we watched appetite go nuts, just consuming. Small business creates this sort of sustainable multi-generational freedom that Gordon Gecko thought he had because of the things and the cars and the women and the homes and the yachts and the trips and the, and the just the, the bottomless amount, topless amount of money that he could access. He thought he had freedom. He found out he didn't. I mean, he didn't find out ultimately spiritually that that didn't buy him anything. He was storing up treasures on earth. But ultimately, Gordon Gecko faces end because Bud Fox came to his senses. But that's the movies, right? The destruction of small business by big business and big government globally took from multiple, just tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of families, financial security of their own. It is small business is the the corporate equivalent or free market equivalent of small government. You know, when prudential insurance, as as I see it, I believe that they stole my life insurance policy that I got when I was 34 years old. Now, in my 50s, I got to go buy another one. And funny thing, it costs more. You know, when that happened, I my wife and I both agreed we're going to a local company. So I researched what is an insurance company in Idaho owned by Idahoans? That if there's a challenge, I can go down to the office and look face to face with somebody. And that's small business. It's small business is like being able to go see your representative. Because the bigger the business, the less likely the person is to care on the phone. When I called Prudential Insurance and said, you know what? A day before surgery, one day before I'm having surgery, you guys, you guys conned. I think they lied. I I honestly, sometime I'll tell a story, I just don't want to turn it into that, but this big business, they don't care. And I I got on the phone with a representative and she just didn't care. And why should she? Right. She's paid money to sit on the phone and placate people and listen and, and not change anything. And I became very frustrated and finally just, I, I ended the call by saying, hey, listen, I know this isn't in your control and, and uh, I'm going to pray for you. You work for a terrible company. I'm going to pray for you. And, and she said, you know what, sir, I'm going to pray for you and, your, and the outcome of your surgery. And I'm really sorry this happened. I found that human caring. But the smash and grab of companies like that connected to the party. Folks, this has affected your retirement. It's affected, your, it's, it's, it's affected your choices as to where you can buy. It's going to affect where your kids go to school. It is. Because the entities that came and smashed and grabbed, they're not from your community. They're not going to be contributing back to local property taxes in that way. They're going be relocating as many workers as they can, either overseas or importing people. Or they're just turning people, into, you know, turning tasks into tech, into, into, into kiosks. And I remember when the left cared about these things. And I remember when the right, we were all trained on the right. The big business, defend big business at all costs. And that's honestly, we were trained to do that. And if a business is a free market business, and if they are involved in the voluntary exchange of goods and services with us and with each other and with other businesses, I have no issue. Get as big as you can. Create as much value and as much product, you know, as much valuable product that people want to buy as you can. Get as big as you can. Please your shareholders. Return them. You have a fiscal duty to do that. But the second you get mobbed up and you start applying force, then I'm done with you. You're no longer a business. Pfizer is not a business. Pfizer is a government. Moderna is a government. The second you begin using force and and a lot of medical insurance companies, I I will never have health insurance again in the traditional way. It's going to be cost sharing, Christian cost sharing network for me because I watched them purchase Obamacare, which was what? Big insurance forcing you to purchase a product you don't want from a company you don't like at prices you cannot afford. For services you will never need. It was the biggest act of corporate force and individual smash and grab. See, at that point, the smash and grab was aimed at individuals. Oh, well, it was also aimed at doctors who were outside of the the medical unions. It was aimed at that. That was a precursor to you will get shot up with an injection that you don't want from a company you hate. For a virus you've overcome and as such have immunity against... At a stage in life where it is more likely to harm you than it is to help you. You are going to do that if you want to exist in Babylon. So a lot of us have said, okay, fine. We don't exist in Babylon. That's sweet. That's cool. We'll stand over here. You guys go have your Babylon. Those are not companies. Companies do not force you to use their products or to pay a tax for their products. Same thing. Medicare, Medicaid. What what goes on with that? Companies go in and they plead the case that that our products, our services, our research should be included in your Medicare, Medicaid package. So they go through this review process. It's completely mobbed up. It's lobbyist by another name. They go in and get included in that and boom, all of a sudden it's quote covered by Medicare and Medicaid, but it's not Medicare and Medicaid. It's you. So they cost shift all the costs onto the back of the bankrupt nation of America, which is literally bankrupt in any rational sense. We're a bankrupt nation. They turn around and they take the profits back and all of a sudden they're free market again. It's like the mask on mask off thing that Jon Stewart used to do as comedians. And comedians all over the place use this particular technique. Oh, well, when I said that, I was a comedian. I was being a comedian when I said that part. So, 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 so you you can't come to me on that part because I was being a comedian. And then when you go to him and say, wait a minute, why should we listen to you? You're a comedian. Well, no, look, I, I can do social commentary. What are you talking about? I mean, being a comedian is my job. Same thing that these big companies do. And what they do is they'll say, hey, you're forced to purchase our product. The government's going to force you. Even if you don't purchase it, you're forced to pay for it. Because this is what we do for the good of the order. This is what we do for the common good. This is how we take care of people. Then you come back and say, hey, since you forced us to pay for your product, are we going to get a portion of your profit? Hey, listen, we're a freak market company. What are you talking about? You know what? If you don't like the fact that people purchase our opioids, go start your own opioid company. And there's case in point. You go back to the question of the day. Has the stock market ever been honest business? Well, we'll let Zach Abraham figure that out in a second. Can it ever be honest business again? Now, that's a bigger question. Because the way it looks right now, I don't think it can ever be honest business again. And let's go back through this and we'll bring Zach on. I will say this again because I think it's the most important point we must all understand about the current environment. Everything is rigged. We're learning this from Zach as we talk about money conjuring. What is quantitative easing? It is literally a magician's trick where they invent money. That's literally what it is. It's conjuring money. What was the, what, what, what is gender jacking? It's conjuring illness in kids. It's conjuring a mental illness. Why? Money, power, conjuring. Who, gets a, who, who takes advantage of that? Academia, media, tech, pharma, pharma mostly. Conjuring. You can take it to another perspective. Look at the outright land grab that Gates and Buffett and China are on in the United States. Once they go through the land grab, now they come back and say, how are we the made majority owner of lands? How are we going to take the power position we have now and affect what others can do with their land? How are we going to use this to distort marketplaces? It's the same thing. These are not companies. When you are going as a creator of plastic fake meat, And you're going to Washington, D.C., and your business model is how can we demonize our competition? How can we fence them in with regulations? How can we make it seem like a product, like the fake plastic meat that contains 400 ingredients and is the single most processed thing you could ever ingest? I mean, what are these things called The, the, the impossible burger, the fake blood in that? You think that's healthy for you? You think it's a protein? It's not. I mean, it's got some protein in it, but you talk about a process. You know, we're told all the time, don't eat processed foods. There's nothing more processed in the world than a fake glob of plastic, fake meat stuff. And yet we're told that's the healthy alternative. Told by who? Well, by the FDA, by the CDC, by the government that will push this stuff down on people and begin to ban the the competitors in schools. These aren't companies. Those are mobbed up entities that are coming and forcing their way into your lives. Opioids is the biggest and easiest example. Opioids, opioids have their place in the medical world. Sometimes pain is so severe that people cannot function without it. When I started to talk about opioids and the big government mob up, I had a lot of people who were, were in legitimately terrible pain circumstances. Contact me and say, hey, will you tell our side of the story? I had three people in my studio. Two of them had to come in in wheelchairs because they'd had such horrible accidents. They're going to be in pain for the rest of their lives. So they came to tell their side of the story. The opioid swindle, where these big, mobbed up non companies, they're not companies, they're small, tiny governments, went to Medicare and Medicaid, got introduced to their congresspeople, their representatives. Went in and said, not only should these be covered by Medicare and Medicaid, not only should our oxycotton be covered more by Medicare and Medicaid, we need to expand the usage of it. That was their expressed goal to get more people to take more opioids. That was their expressed goal. The government helped with that. And once again, what was it? The same way they created a made-up, non-existent condition called transgenderism. There's gender dysphoria. There's gender rebellion. There's gender confusion. They're all very real feelings. We don't have any right in the world to go to someone who's, you know, actually suffering from this and be anything other than loving to them. Even as we don't agree with the outcomes that they might choose, to be loving because they are our brothers and sisters Just as they conjured that fake word into existence, they came back and they invented pain as the fifth vital sign. Pain is not a vital sign. Let me just ask you this question. If you're not in pain, do you die? That's the creation of pain as, as the fifth vital sign. They tied the degree to which you're in pain to like brain waves, your heart beating, lungs functioning, your kidneys working, It's none of that. They sold that to the government. Then the government began to push the rules down. All of a sudden, you had supposed doctors who were being raided on, not did they recover, not did the patient come back well, not did the limb, you know, did the limb heal. It was, did the limb heal, but mostly were they in pain? Well, what was the cure for pain? More pharma, more Oxycontin. And I learned about the direct results of this when it killed my friend Paul. Shoving Oxy into his arm ultimately led to his demise because he couldn't get off of it. And his life spiraled immediately upon becoming a drug user, courtesy of Big Pharma and the lie that pain is the fifth vital sign. Those are not companies, this is not free enterprise. This is not anything that conservatives should be defending. And there we go. It's not money that's at the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Where are the Republicans? With everything I just described, where are they? To step up and create a very simple bill. No American taxpayer will be forced to underwrite the profits of free enterprise. And please don't come to me and say, oh, you're against tax cuts. There's no such thing as a tax cut. There's a tax rate. All we're talking about is how much of your own money should you be allowed to keep? And that extends to companies, which are simply groups of people. What I'm saying is government will not force anyone to use any company's private services for any reason. Not going to happen. Why? Well, refer back to how we began this with Gordon Gecko, Ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence. That's Mitch. That's Kevin McCarthy. Zach Abraham's going to join us in just a second. Or a good reminder here. This is, well, since we're talking about small business, let me say this. Is that what I say? Small business? I'd say is a medium-sized business, Greenhaven Interactive. Very tightly held, though. My friend Dave the Digital is the boss. His team has no question about whom they work. They work for him and they work for you. And they take on big business in a way that they get your business, the the respect it deserves from Google. If you're not getting the search results you deserve, if you're a leader in your category, that should be reflected in your Google search results. If you have a business name that's well-known and well-respected, that should be reflected in your Google search results. If that's not happening, it might not be Google targeting you. It really might not be what it might be is it might be that your website is not optimized to Google. And what Dave the Digital at Greenhaven Interactive will do is called search engine optimization. He will get your site optimized so that it does in fact correct where you're placed in search because being in the top three in search is absolutely vital to making sure that you can have a successful enterprise when it comes to online lead generation and more. So that's greenhaveninteractive.com. And now, with no further ado, to answer the question, can the stock market ever be honest business again? We still need walk-on music for them. Welcome back to the program, my friend, Zach Abraham.
1: Oh, and thanks, Todd, for having me back. It's always
0: always fun to be on with you, man. Well, I don't know what you think of that uh, that quote, Zach, that I don't know. What was your thing with Wall Street when you were growing up as a kid? Like I said, I was an 80s kid. Man, I was addicted to that movie, largely because of the performances. I, I just thought the performances were so stellar. Um, and then the great fantasy, if you go to New York and you got all this money and kind of watching that fall apart, too. It's just such a, a well-done movie. But, um, you know, look where you're at now and what you do at, at Bulwark. Uh, what did you think of when you first watched that movie as a kid?
1: I... I was, um, I was enraptured by it. I, the, the two things that, that I loved, uh, or I was just magnets to me were were it was football and stocks. I mean, it was just, and, and I, I wasn't one of these guys that was running a stock portfolio or anything when I was 12. I was just fascinated by, um, I remember one of the first things I was fascinated by was Warren Buffett really understanding how he did things and that he went in and bought when everybody was afraid. Um, and I remember just thinking, that is so that, that is, that's just a, that's just an awesome move. You know, I, I just, I love the idea of that I love the idea of, um, you know, managing stocks, picking them. And then when I saw wall street for the first time, I mean, you know, anybody in this business has seen that movie probably a hundred times. I could probably recite it to you. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, and, and I was probably much, you know, growing up, especially in the nineties, you know, I fancied myself Gordon Gecko type, Bud Fox kind of guy, you know, uh, and probably still did in the beginning part of my career until I had that that you know that kind of conversion in terms of the way that I thought and the way that I did things. But is it mean? You was know, that
0: where the Lord let everything fall around your ears and said how you like <laughs> how you like the greed without me? Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that, yeah. That was exactly right. Yeah, yeah. it didn't work that well. Um, as a matter of fact, it worked horribly. So that kind of beat it out of me. But the, but the you know the interest and the intrigue with it. You know the thing I love about it, Todd, is it's. It is a never ending puzzle that you cannot fully fit. You can't, you can't, you can't get it right. Yeah. Uh, it's always changing. It's dynamic. Every single day it's different. Um, and it's fascinating to me, but yeah, that movie, it, and, and here's the thing. I I think that Gordon Gekko gets a little bit of a bad rap in the sense that when, when greed, you know, to me is like, it's sort of like a dog. I kind of view capitalism as the same thing that when kept behind the right fences, it is good. It is good. Self-interest is good. And, 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 I think the U S economy has really proven that, that a whole group of people quote unquote, selfishly pursuing their self-interest has lifted an unbelievable amount of people out of poverty, just like anything else when it goes too far. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what you see today. And And one of the things that pains me with what you see today is so many people saying it's a failure collapse of capitalism. And I look at it and I go, no, it's not. What you're seeing is an unholy union between big corporations and big government. That's the problem, yeah. right?
0: So, so let, me, but let me pick apart at something here. I don't, I, I don't think it's self-interest. So I'll, I'll tell you why. Certainly the pursuit of wealth, you could say is self-interest and sometimes it's purely self-interest. Um, but I think people who get there and stay there also have an interest in, um, well, let's start with customers. You know, uh, uh, there's a, there's, and I know this is quote small business, but there's a pizza place we go to, uh, in North Idaho. And, uh, Zach, I'm there every week. It's a ritual for me. They know that, but every time one of the owners comes by the table every time, how is everything? How's the family? Do you need, these are the owners. Do you need a refill? Like a you know, always. And if the owner's not there, the young managers in their their early twenties come out from behind where they're cooking pizza. They make the rounds. They know us by name, right? And the one yeah. time the pizza came out burned, the one time we said, no, 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 it's not a problem. No, absolutely not. This is free. We'll put another one in. It'll be out in six minutes you know, mm-hmm. we're sorry. And, but, but no, no, no. We insist. Absolutely not. This is free. And we insist that it be to our standards. And yeah. you multiply that right now. They just opened another location. They're doing very well, but that's not necessarily self-interested. I would say this, um, the owner, the, the gentleman, he owns it with his wife. He said to me the other day, we were talking about getting stuck in the snow. We had really bad snow. And, and then this ice storm, which is insane. And he was telling me, he goes, yeah, you know what? My employees call me at 11 o'clock at midnight. They know I've got a truck. They know I've got towing chains. They know I've got the logging tire chains. I'll come and get them. I'm like, wow, 11 o'clock at midnight. He goes, Todd, we need these kids. Yeah. We got to yeah. keep them around. So I'm looking at self-interest by way of expressing concern for others, love for others. Um, and one of the reasons they're beloved in this community is, is, you know, if there's a fundraiser, they're in.
1: Yeah. Well, and, 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 that's one of the, that's one of the problems I, and I think you illustrate this perfectly. When I said self-interest, everybody automatically assumes that you mean grabbing for the dough. What, what I mean really is that you pursue your purpose and your passion. And, you know, I've had young guys ask me before, you know, like, you know, how do you be a fund manager? You know, how do you run money? How do you do all these kind of things? And I, one of the first things I look at them and I go, you better love it. And they go, why? And I go, because you're competing against a bunch of guys like me that do, right? And and, and by pursuing that, it's like my uh, coach in college used to drill into our heads all the time, Frosty Westering. Boys, winning is the byproduct. It is not the end of the game, right? Winning, if we handle what we do, the winning will take care of itself. Money's the same way. And I think you make a great point. I think the people that are, by and large, the most monetarily successful are the ones that were like tunnel vision, chasing their pursuit and their passions and their dreams. And then the money came, right? Um, And I agree with you. I don't think the vast majority of these people are out there self-interest. They're not greedy business owners. They love what they do. They're passionate about what they do. They're good at what they do. And the money's a result. I I would agree with you 100%. Right. And, and, and
0: um, so, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about here. We were just my 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 brother Matthew sent me a note, um, and it was a video of Paul Allen's ship called the Octopus. Yeah, uh, I know. We were, yeah, yeah. And we were watching it, and and as I watched this, you know, we were saying this is like Pharaoh's tomb. Um, and look, I don't I don't go around spending my time, you know, uh, thinking down on people like Paul Allen. But I I would I would hope that Paul Allen was also storing up treasures in heaven. And and I don't know that he was. And that's, you know, that's a a topic for another day. So let me get to this. Um, We're talk. we kind of frame this around Wall Street when Bud Fox gets to New York. Mm -hmm. And I remember his floor manager, I think it's called, was, you know, gave him a phone book and some stocks and some leads. Sit down, cold call. What was it? um, Widows and retirees. And that was Bud Fox's job. Call, call widows and retirees. And that's what, um, that's what they did. And that's what Bud Fox did. And nothing was going well. And someone somewhere at some time, and he was this fanboy for Gordon Gecko, finally had to show him how the game is played. Guys, like, it's not about this. What was Bud trying to sell? He's trying to sell value. He was calling yeah. these guys with fiduciary concern, you're a retiree, let's go into that 60-40 mix. And I know a dude who tells you that, that 40% in the bonds thing, that's, that could be a big risk. <laughs> I know a dude who says that. So, so then someone shows him how the game is played. But I would say that Bud Fox, at the beginning of his career, was doing things the way Wall Street was designed. That mm-hmm. th- there, so mm-hmm. am I right? Was there a time where Law, Wall Street was legit business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to be fair, there are, there are parts of it that still are. Okay. And the, the, and I think you and I've spoke about this before. Um, listen, it, there, there really is no debate over this. Free markets are the best way to allocate resources, right? Because, it's like, Todd, I've told the story before at, at the, uh, one of the things that fascinated me about studying statistical analysis in my finance degree, it's probably the only part of my finance degree I actually use on a daily basis Yeah, is, you know, th- this phenomenon where you can get like this giant jar of marbles. And if you get enough yeah. people to guess, you will drill the number every single time. Well, that's the example of a market. And that's why they're so effective because they price things correctly. When things are priced correctly, they go to the right place, right? Okay. Um, what what started happening really to me where we're at today is sort of was baked into the cake 50 years ago, into my opinion, in, in my opinion. And it was when we came off the gold standard in 71. Okay. When you came off the gold standard, the government now had the, you know, the unbridled or, you know, uninhibited ability to create or conjure as you put it capital out of thin air. And I think that, that did, we didn't really see the full impact of that, in my opinion, until the last 13 to 15 years. But to me, it's just a culmination, right? If you go off of a gold standard, if we think, if we know what we think of governments over long periods of times, right, going back to, you know, Chinese dynasty times and, the, you know, the Ming dynasty and, and, and as far back as Rome and Greece and all these different places, w- when government is no longer constrained by, by capital, we know what they're going to do right? We know what they're going to do. The end is inevitable. And, and the reason for it is because what do people do? They're like water. They, they, you know, we drip to the, we go, we take the path of least resistance, right? We settle at the lowest point. And if all of a sudden now we can conjure capital out of thin air, um, we don't need fiscal restraint. We don't need fiscal discipline. I, I think over time that is eroded and it's become somewhat of a game. You know, you look at a company like Tesla right now, this isn't a knock on the cars. I'm not telling you to buy or sell the stock but you're talking about a company that's doing like $35 billion a year in revenue. If you took away the tax rebates, they're selling every car at a loss. I don't care what they tell you. That's the real accounting. And you know, they've got a $1 trillion market, (laughs) you know, but that can happen in a world where, where money is fungible, you know, I mean, it's, it's zero gravity.
0: See, and this is Zach, this is where I learned uh, the personal lesson about this. Um, and that conjuring. We'll talk about that in a second. This dude right here I'm chatting with is Zach Abraham. He is the chief investment officer at Bulwark Capital. He's also a radio host, and his show is very, very good. It's called Know Your Risk Radio. You can get it at knowyourriskradio.com. And for six years, maybe even more, Zach has been super consistent about a risk to your retirement. You know, we're talking about the way things are now versus the way they used to be. There was this old way of doing things, sixty 60-40 mix, where bonds were the, quote, safe portion of your portfolio. And Zach's been very clear. Look, if you're still doing that, you may be taking a serious risk with your retirement. He's also been Super clear about inflation and money printings, zero percentage for interest rates. And and Zach believes that if this inflation continues and is very likely going to rise, then just bonds get crushed. And again, consistency, guys, you're not going to hear other people in the financial markets, particularly operating at Zach's level, tell you the truth about things like conjuring and just inventing money from thin air. You get a very similar approach when you get his free common sense investing booklet. It's Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. And honestly, you can read this and probably go do it on your own. And some people are going to, others are going to say, no, I I, I need Zach to do this for me. And I think it would be wise to do that. So just call Zach. You can call now. He's on with us, but he'll maybe he'll pick up the phone. He's always on there, always working. <laughs> call uh, 866-779-RISK. You get your free copy of Common Sense Investing. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. And I simply must tell you, investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of a Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. So Zach, I had, um, I had, when we had our internet radio company, we had uh, sharks coming in from New York Mm -hmm. city and they were like, guys, let's take this thing public. Let's, let's go. And, and look, you've got the brand name, you've got all these deals. We had all sorts of, of exclusive deals with, you know, big sites like AOL and salon was big at the time. And we, we were, we were the, top company doing internet radio in terms of getting ads mm-hmm. cleared and all that. And no one was had real revenues. We had some, we had more than most. Uh, we had tech, right. That was legitimate and and useful tech. We had a lot going for us, but, but take it public. I was embarrassed to sit in these meetings. Like mm-hmm. you actually are going to take this company and tell people to purchase stock in it who are not venture capitalists. I get the venture capitalists. that they don't care. What's what's you know, what's nine million bucks to a venture capitalist? It's, oh, look, I sneezed and nine million dollars fell out of my nose. Someone wiped the nine million off my face. So I got this, this notion that, oh, okay, so what are you gonna use? You're gonna go do the Gordon Gecko thing. You're gonna go sell this thing up and and it wasn't the pig, I don't say that, but you're gonna put lipstick all over it. Um, So that's that was my personal education on that. So let me ask you this question. Then, Zach, Um, I've had that education. You have a thousand times more than I do. If you, Zach Abraham, were put in charge of this whole thing, how would you legitimize the stock market? What would you do if someone came and said, hey, we're a functioning republic again and we're not going to operate on debt, whatever. And they came and said, Zach, you're in charge. How are you going to make it? How are you going to make it legit again?
1: So that's a funny, it's funny you ask that question because I actually thought about that exact same thing this morning before our interview uh, independently without you and I talking about it. Um, First of all, it's, it's, let let me be fair to the people. I've been very critical of Federal Reserve and I think that they deserve that criticism. Um, At the same time, uh, a a friend of mine, I was having a conversation about this and he looked at me and he said, what would you do differently if you were running the Fed? Mm. And after really thinking about it for a while, I thought, you know, at this point, probably not much. Um, and 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 hear me out. Wow! You know, if I was we're, running we're the Fed, in a mess.
0: Now, Wait a minute, we right? Are, no, no. Here, we're so, in trouble.
1: Right. So, so assuming that I was a Fed member, okay. So thinking like they do, mm-hmm. the reason that they're not doing anything differently, and the reason that you hear them talk about slowing down um, uh, QE purchases and all that, I look, I, maybe they'll stop. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll stop doing quantitative easing conjuring for like, you know, a month or a quarter or something like that. But I'm just here to tell you that I don't think that in my lifetime, we're going to stop them. We're going to, we're not going to see them doing that. I I think that they have to keep doing it to keep the system afloat. Um, If I was king though, and I wasn't worried about political backlash and all this other kind of stuff. If I just, somebody appointed me king, I think that what you have to do is you have to back the Fed out of markets. You've got to reinstitute the rule that keeps them so from engaging in- The
0: Federal Reserve's not buying corporate debt, which is illegal. They're not buying stocks, right? Right,
1: right. right. And you've got, to, you've got to clean that up. Um, and then I think that you need to let interest rates float. Um, and if you do these things, you're going to see a 60 to 70, possibly even 80% drop in the stock market. And I, I'm a big believer, Todd, that as painful as that would be, I also think it would be somewhat of a cleansing experience for our culture. I think that easy money and easy riches, uh, corrupt. They always have. Um, and I think that the mania and the, you know, surface nature and the shallowness and the lack of, you know, the vapid nature of all this money printing, you see it reflected in culture. I mean, it's a mirror and you know, people are looking at me, look, I don't, I don't, it's a lot easier when stocks are going up. I'm not hoping for some big crash. But, you know, that being said, you know, I think if you look at our culture, I think a depression is sort of what we need, you know, uh, to get people back to simple thinking, um, to get people back to fundamentals, to realize that your life is not what it appears to be on social media, you know, to focus again on things that matter. Um, And I think that, you know, you're going to get that at some point, rather, you know, maybe it'll be a classic deflationary collapse like the depression. I don't think the Fed's going to let that happen. Um, I think it's more likely to have an inflationary, you know, depression type of, of of sorts. Um, but that's what I do. And it wouldn't be fun and it wouldn't be pleasant. And I would be nobody's favorite fed head and I would be nobody's favorite politician. But I mean, you know, that's, that's the, and that's the pernicious aspect of where we're at Todd, is that there's no easy off ramps from here. Right. Yeah. There's going to be pain.
0: Yeah. And, And look, if there's not pain, there's not development. And right. this is why quantitative easing and the actions of the fed are not only conjuring it's Oxycontin for the American public. It's mental yep. fentanyl, right? Yep. Quantitative easing is mental fentanyl. It's keeping people yeah. asleep. If you avoid pain in like, if you want to be a bodybuilder and you take, you get on the gas so hard and on the juice so hard and you don't lift a weight, you're going to get puffy. your testicles will shrink up. Okay. But you're you're not going to get, you're not going to get swole
1: and you're not going to get
0: cut or yoked or any of those things. Right. And if you, you know, you're going to take all the PEDs you want and you're not going to practice your sport. Doesn't matter. Right. You right. gotta have the pain right. for the growth. So we started yep. this talking about movies um, and I know that you're busy and I always take too much of your time. So as I wrap this up, I'm going to ask you this question. Am I a bad person in that when I watch dystopian movies, I love watching people have no regard for the dollar bill. I love, no, I do. I I love like watching people walk through the dystopian world. And man, there's a, there's a BMW over there and look the brand new Jaguar. And they're going, I don't, they're just like trying to get in and see if there's gas in there so they can light a fire or something. That's the value in the way we can cut open the leather seats and make ourselves a coat. And does that make me an (laughs) unbelievably bad person? Because for me, I think that, that, that is an opportunity to go back to and going to shock everybody here, Zach. To me it goes back to God and the mm. things God created. What are you looking for? I'm looking for food. Who made that? God. I need water. Who made that? God. I'm looking for a heat source. Who gave that to you? God. What about this dollar bill? Hey, give them the Caesars that Caesar, that what that what is his? So yeah, does that yeah. make me a bad person that I enjoy that?
1: And no, I don't think so. And I, and I and I'm and I'm sympathetic with you because I, I think what you're looking at is I think you're kind of looking behind the curtain and you're seeing what a sham it all really is. And, you know, um, you know, the dollar is what it is today because the authorities that be is say, say that it is, I mean, there is no <laughs> intrinsic, but, right? I mean, I mean, there's some, intri- if you, uh, if you looked at the United States, like a corporation, yeah, you, you could make an argument that there is some intrinsic value. I mean, what is our land worth? What are our national parks worth? Things of that nature. But when you look at it on a financial basis yeah. of money in money out, I, I mean, it's, it's nothing. I mean, it's, it's scrap paper, you yeah. know? I mean, it's, and, 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 that, and to be fair, that makes it, you know, most other currencies are even more scrappy, right? Like, I mean, you know, if you think us ridiculous, you know, go look at negative bond yields
0: yeah. in Italy. Yeah. Lisa's, right? Lisa's, I mean, is a it's crazy. At least ours is a post-it note.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Doesn't I even mean, stick to the wall. Our stuff
0: is a post-it uh, yeah. note. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And well, and that's, and, and that's, and that's the crazy world we live in, right? You look at negative bond yields in Italy and you go, how are they there? And you're like, cause the European central bank is making them there. I mean, it's, it, it's not real.
0: Well, we you know. end up talking about conjuring so much um, next week. I want to talk about um, people putting my wife and I have in this discussion about putting land into portfolios. I mm, want yeah. I, I want to talk about putting real things into portfolios. Um, people still are mad at me about my Bitcoin position. So we'll have to clear that up one day. I just can't make anybody happy, <laughs> uh, but let's talk about <laughs> next week. Um, let's talk about retirement portfolios. Um, and, and and investment portfolios that contain things God made. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Nice. We've, we've got a lot of that in our portfolios right, right now.
0: All right. It's Know Your Risk Radio. Zach Abraham's with us. Um, as always, go with God's good grace. I always appreciate you coming on the program, man. Hey, always great being on. And that's why we have Zach Abraham on the program. Thank you, Zach. Reminded that you can rate this podcast at any of the platforms in which you listen. Even if you listen to two episodes a week, it's so very helpful if you rate it. And by the way, there are ten episodes per week. So you're getting twenty <laughs> you're getting twenty percent of the value if you're listening to two episodes. 10 episodes a week. Sometimes there's bonus episodes. We may do one of those this weekend uh, related to uh, Breyer and this thing in Wisconsin where it, it might happen. It's, it's possible that Wisconsin will with, uh, withdraw their electoral votes uh, for Joe Biden, which would be utterly fascinating and fun. So just please rate the podcast. Give it the rating you think it deserves on the podcast platform you use. This is a note from Jesse via email to the Todd Herman show. Hi, Todd. I wrote to you twice via Facebook before you had gotten off the ground with the podcast, which I regularly enjoy. I first heard you on Cairo when you were on the air with the ultra liberal and someone in the quote middle. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. My mom was battling cancer and I was asking for prayer. I feel obligated to admit to you that I'm not religious in the way you are, but I do believe that prayer works in the way it's intended. That is to seek guidance from the higher power. When my mom, Rose, passed this Saturday after Thanksgiving 2021. I assume you included my family in your thoughts and prayers, and thanks for that. I don't view structured religion as a good thing, generally speaking. I've, had, I've long had an issue with the notion that one could be as evil as can be and then completely be forgiven by God if they would only accept God and live a good life thereafter, and at the same time, gen, uh, a genuinely good person who's not accepted God would not join him. That's always bothered me. Maybe you could elaborate on that nip cutting podcast. Um, and he says he lives in the separate country of Washington. Yeah. And that's, wow, tough place to live. If you get a chance to read this, have a great day, my man. Thank you, Jesse. I'm getting a chance to read it, Jesse. And number one, uh, I feel sad that you're missing your mom. I'm sure you're always going to miss your mom. That stuff gets better, but it never goes away, my brother. It never goes away. So let's break down your note here. And I'm going to do this with, with absolute respect for you and your views. If prayer works in the way intended, and you don't believe in a higher power, then then what exactly would it do? So if if, if praying for guidance to an entity in which you don't really believe works, I, I, how would that work? So let me break this down a little bit further. What are the I think misunderstandings? about from people who are not yet, haven't yet come to Christ, is that we pray to ask for things. That God is the great, um, he's the great gumball machine in the sky. You pop in a quarter and you get a gumball. And yeah, there are times when we ask the Lord for things. What really happens in honest and sincere prayer is this, that, that you are seeking a closeness with the entity who created you. You're seeking a closeness with your father. And as you express this love for your mother, and God rest her, and I hope she knew the Lord, Jesse, I do. I really hope she knew the Lord. Um, This great love you have, you I'm sure, sought a closeness with her. And her name was Rose. I'm sure she was a beautiful woman. And the way that we seek closeness to someone, we ask about them. You're getting to know somebody. You ask, hey, where did you grow up? What was that like? You have brothers and sisters, and and what formed your opinion? And sometimes if I'm distinctly curious about someone, I'll ask a structured question like, hey, when did you come to believe X or Y and how? And it's just a way of learning about the people around you. Likewise with Father God. Prayer is part of us asking, hey, can we get to know you better? You created us. Your loving father, can we know that? Now, you see, in that, Jesse, in that understanding of prayer, it changes from gumball machine to loving relationship. Now, once you get to the loving relationship point with God Almighty, we're still not there. There's a point people reach where we say, I am insufficient. I cannot do what God can do. I cannot enact miracles the way God can. I cannot create universes. I cannot create life apart from God. I can't have a heartbeat apart from God. And it's that act of surrender to recognize that this higher power about which you speak is in fact that the highest power. And then in that act of surrender, ultimately in the Christian faith, then we're looking at what did God do to seek a relationship with us? What God did to seek a relationship with us started with a couple, Adam and Eve, shifted over to a country or to to tribes, then a country, then the world. And he sought in increasing measures ways to reach us, culminating in sending one part of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ, to earth to walk with us, to experience with us what this was like. So we take that next step. And that next step is, wow, You became baby in an impressed class. You lived hand to mouth sometimes to be with us. You allowed yourself to be nailed to a tree or a cross for us. You did this for us so that we might die with you and be raised with you. And then come to say, yes, you are our savior. You are the way, the truth and the life you are this. We are nothing apart from you. And to come to fully accept that, that's thats far different than gumball machine. It's also far different than this. Being a hedonist all your life and doing as you wish in the moment before you die, you convert. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now I'm all good. Let's go back to the beginning. An entity... God, who has existed and always existed, does exist now, will always exist, created everything you see, hear, taste, think of, is his. He's able to discern the sincerity of that. Because the last minute, oh, okay, I'll check this box. God is not fooled. And we're warned many, 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 many times in the Bible that there's going to be people who go say, Lord, 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 here I am, and 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 this is after, you know, this is um, in the future, and and Jesus is going to turn to him and go, I'm I, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? Never been what? I know, I don't know you. But wait, I was, I was going to the electric chair, and I said your name, and oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, bye. Likewise, and this is the, this is truly a tragedy. It truly is. The good people syndrome. Yes, there are so many good atheists who are wonderful people and they're great parents. And they're missing a relationship with the father who created them. They won't turn to him. Is it fear? Is it conceit? Is it pride? Oh, there can't be a God because I'm the greatest thing going. How could there be a God when I'm this smart? A lot of it is fear. So what God has done is leave a structure. And you were talking about structured religion. There's a difference between dogma and legalism and structure. The Bible and what Jesus the Christ taught us in his time on earth and his ministry is, in fact, a structure. A man shall leave his mother and father and, and, and cleave to his wife. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's one God, only one God. You'll love him with all your heart and soul. That shalt not steal. Shalt not covet. That shalt not murder. That shall respect your parents and Jesse. I can see in the note you re, you respected your mom you're probably living many of these things when people run afoul of those things bad things happen biologically bad things happen psychologically bad things happen societally because we're falling out of the structure we were designed to live with it's just like not putting oil in your truck you can go a little while with no oil in your truck. But you're not using the engine as designed. We're designed to live in a structure that's communicated through faith and religious activity. Love your brother. Thank you so much for all the support of these years. I grieve I didn't get a chance to know your mom. And I hope that was helpful to you. And again, just know I mean it in absolute love, my brother. This is the Todd Herman Show. Now, please
1: go be well, be strong, be kind, and yes,
0: as always, be right with God.